Okay, so we're back and it's come to this. Let's get into it. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. Thanks to everyone for attending again today. I want to thank the members of our department and all of law enforcement who played a role in the investigation of this case. Last Wednesday, July 19th, we held a press conference and provided you with the facts of the Carly Russell disappearance. We told you the investigation was ongoing. We helped you determine where Carly was during the 49 hours of her disappearance. Today, I've talked to and received a statement from Mr. Emery Anthony, attorney for Carly Russell. Mr. Anthony has scheduled a meeting for Carly to meet with investigators early this afternoon, but then I received an email stating that a statement was being provided by him on her behalf. Mr. Anthony asked that I read the statement in its entirety, which I will do now. My client has given me permission to make the following statement on her behalf. There was no kidnapping on Thursday, July 19, 13, 2023. My client did not see a baby on the side of the road. My client did not leave the Hoover area when she was identified as a missing person. My client did not have any help in this incident, but this was a single act done by herself. My client was not with anyone or any hotel with anyone from the time she was missing. My client apologizes for her actions to this community, the volunteers who were searching for her, to the Hoover Police Department and other agencies as well. $6,000 fine and one year up to one, one year in prison is in order. Because there was a woman who lost her daughter and she came out to help Carly's family. As well as other people in that community. So she needs to pay some restitution and she needs to go to jail and she needs to pay that fine. She cannot get away with this. She made black women look bad and she made black people look bad. That they're untrustworthy, mentally ill. And embarrassing as to her friends and family we ask for your prayers for Carly as she addresses her issues and attempts to move forward understanding that she made a mistake in this matter Carly again ask for your forgiveness and prayers <sighs> forgiveness comes yeah but she has to pay the consequences that's what she has to do. All right. Because this. I mean, you took away all the manpower and all of the. Uh, you know. Hours away from people's families that actually had missing family members. OK. Imagine if that woman who lost her daughter, lost her daughter at the same time Carly was said to be kidnapped. All to find out it was a lie. And then her daughter ends up dead. Imagine if that was to happen. Do you understand? And the, and the woman who came to help Carly's family was white. and She had a biracial daughter. Imagine the, the backlash that would have happened to Carly and her family. Because Carly wanted to be, you know, has some attention come her way. 
Anyway. All right. Carly Russell attempted, admitted to lying about her disappearance by Alabama Freeway Police. Carly Russell, the Alabama woman who went missing and told a bizarre tale about seeing a toddler on the side of the road of a freeway, on the side of a freeway and being abducted, lied about the whole thing, authorities said Monday. Russell's attorney, Emery Anthony, emailed a statement to the Hoover Police Department stating Russell admitted to not seeing a baby on the road and was not a missing person, police chief Nicholas Dersis told reporters. My client did not have any help in this incident. This was a single act done by herself. The statement said my client was not with anyone or any hotel with anyone from the time she was missing. So what about that claim about her at the Red Roof Inn? Oh, well. My client apologized for her actions to the community, volunteers who were searching for her, to the Hoover Police Department and other agencies, as well as to her friends and family. Durses said authorities were talking with local prosecutors about possible filing criminal charges against Carl Russell. He said a meeting was scheduled between investigators and Anthony on Tuesday to discuss what happened to his client during the 49 hours she couldn't be found. We still don't know what happened in those 49 hours, where she was. Did she have any help? We have no idea, Durses said. We wanted to focus, wanted the focus to bring her home. She got home. We're very excited about that. He said the facts that I spoke about last Wednesday pretty much showed that we knew it was a hoax. Russell 25 <clears throat> initially went missing after placing a 9-11 call on July 13th at 9.34 p.m. telling the operator that she saw a three to four year old toddler walking along the southbound side of the interstate 459 near Birmingham, Alabama. Alabama authorities said. Police said Russell took a bathrobe and toilet paper from her employer, the Woodhouse Spa, Birmingham, before getting food and shopping at a Target. I'm not going to read any more because you already know the story. You already know the story, what happened to that. Like I said, she, uh, lawsuit is in order. Okay. That has, that has to happen. Her family has money, so they could pay it. I don't see a problem with that. They could uh, pay that large bill. All right. So let's get into the story right here, right now. All right. family chef who died on Martha's Vineyard. His body was found near a pond near the Obama home after a paddleboarding trip. All right, David Wade back in studio tracking details that are still coming into our newsroom, David. Yeah, Chris, the Obama family says they're grieving tonight the loss of Tafari Campbell. On Sunday, Martha's Vineyard police say they got a call about a man who went under the water in Edgartown's Great Pond. Another paddleboarder actually saw it unfold but was un unable to get to him. State police say emergency crews spent hours searching for Campbell but sadly recovered his body this morning. The Virginia man worked at the White House as a sous chef and in this official video was seen working on brewing an official beer for 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Now, President Obama offered Campbell a job to work for his family when his he was leaving the White House, and Campbell took it. 
In a statement tonight, President Obama said, Tafari was a beloved part of our family. When we first met him, he was a talented sous chef at the White House, creative and passionate about food and its ability to bring people together. In the years that followed, we got to know him as a warm, fun, extraordinarily kind person who made all of our lives a little bit brighter. <clears throat> it's kind of weird about him drowning because so a video of him swimming so i don't i don't i don't get that in their pool. How did that happen? Obama's personal chef drowns while paddleboarding near President Martha's Vineyard estate. Okay. The man who drowned while paddleboarding on a pond outside the Obama's. Hold on one minute. Sorry about that. The man who drowned while paddleboarding on a pond outside the Obama's Martha's Vineyard estate has been identified as the former first family's personal chef. Authorities confirmed Monday afternoon that the body of 45-year-old Tafari Campbell was found in eight foot of water about 100 feet from the banks of the Obama's property on Eagertown Great Pond. Okay, like I said, this doesn't make any sense. Okay, I've seen a video of him on Twitter swimming, a good swimmer. So what happened? Campbell previously served as the South as the South chef in the White House kitchen while Barack Obama was in office and was hired to be his personal chef when his term ended. Emergency responders were dispatched to the 30 acre estate at 79 Turkey Land Cove Road on Sunday evening after reports of a possible drowning nearby. Rescue efforts involving divers, Coast Guard, the helicopters and resources from the multiple agencies were launched. Okay. Campbell's body was finally discovered around 10 a.m. Monday using sonar scanning deployed from a boat. The Obamas were not home at the time of the incident, police confirmed. Tafari was a beloved part of our family. Obama said in a statement Monday when we first met him, he was a talented South chef at the White House, creative and passionate about food and its ability to bring people together. In the years that followed, we got to know him as a warm, fun, extraordinary kid, kind person, sorry, kind person who has made all of our lives a little brighter. That's why when we we're getting ready to leave the White House, we asked Tafari to stay with us. He generously agreed. He's been part of our lives ever since, and our hearts are broken that he's gone. Today, we join everyone who knew and loved Tafari, especially his wife, Charisse and their twin boys, Xavier and Savin, in grieving the loss of a truly wonderful man. Another person who had been paddle boarding on the pond where Campbell drowned said they saw him struggling in the water, then submerging without resurfacing. resurfacing. He was wearing all black at the time, did not have a life jacket on. His board and hat was discovered shortly after the search crews arrived. 
During his time in the White House, Campbell was known for brewing beer using honey from bees that First Lady Michelle Obama tended on the South Lawn, according to the Chicago Sun-Times. Weird. Very strange, very weird. Story does not make any sense at all. All right. Time to get into this story right now. Looks like the people who arranged the beauty pageant in Italy grew a backbone and they're standing up. Okay. This is what they're standing up against. Well, they're screwing the great state of Victoria even more than they already did with the Commonwealth <laughs> Games. Um, the problem is, is that there's a firewood shortage and a timber shortage in general, not because they've run out of trees, but because the Andrews government doesn't want to let anybody cut the things down. So not only has this caused all sorts of problems with the construction industry, they've had to go and get it, but that's the Andrews <laughs> government for you. Because what we're now doing is pillaging Tasmania's resources. So Victoria oh, is taking no. all the timber from Tasmania. Apparently, sorry about that. I had to, you know, I thought I had it right here to talk about uh, what's going on in Italy. Uh, but let's end on a good news story. Yeah. The Italians, Giorgio Maloney, the Conservatives, and Italians have come to their senses. How, Rita? Well, yes, Italy under Maloney just it seems to be winning. And now they've said Miss Italia pageant, their beauty pageant. Only biological females can compete, can win. This comes after Miss Netherlands, the recent winner there, was a trans woman. So a, a male who identifies as a woman is now a woman, it was the winner. And uh, there is Miss Netherlands. That won't be happening in Italy. They have got a rule here and they are going to stick by it. No biological males allowed in this beauty contest. So could we see, the? was there a runner-up in the Miss Netherlands? So basically they got some guts, all right? And they're basically saying that, you know, we're not gonna tolerate this. We're not gonna tolerate female spaces being taken over by, you know, the rainbow mafia. And they've, you know, hopefully they'll stick to it because you know how they will raise hell, literal hell just to get their way. Okay, you've seen it done with Jack Phillips when he decided he did not want to bake a cake for an alphabet couple. And he had to go to the Supreme Court to uh, to battle them out. And he won and they tried again, but this time they failed. OK. Much of luck to Italy. All right. The same issue happened when it came to uh, Black Girls Rock event and um, the Alphabet Mafia tried to um, they tried to take over. OK. And. Um, the women there were not having it. They were not simply having it at all. Now, here's something else I think they need to attack. And this is this. Uh, you'll hear. You'll hear about it. 
the ridiculousness that's coming out of her mouth is astounding. Insane, I say. Insane. We argued that the only reason people admire bodybuilders uh, who have built their body with muscle and not um, obese people who have built their body with eating huge amounts of food is because there's uh, prejudice against fat people. And so body no, it's the fact that people can admire the fact that someone actually took care of their bodies to a great extent, as in contrast to somebody who is destroying their bodies, eating large amounts of food and not caring about the fact that you may one day end up dying. OK, or the fact that you're going to end up being a huge medical bill for your loved ones. That's the reason why people admire bodybuilders over obese people. Here's a fun fact, though. These obese people that want to be admired, they won't date or other obese people. They think they're entitled to um, a person that lives with, that is uh, that is fit. Male and female, they feel this way. A fat person, a fat man thinks he should get a, you know, a uh, swimsuit model. But he's over 300 pounds. No. Bodybuilding could benefit from including the non-competitive um, display of fat bodies alongside muscular ones. No, no, no. She wants to end discrimination by putting fat people on the stage bodybuilding with uh, bodybuilders. No, no. You, they want to further embarrass themselves. I don't think so. No, this this. This thing is uh, getting out of hand, all right? What is it? It was Gillette, okay? Then it was a swimsuit. Now you want to try and ruin bodybuilding. And they're not going to have it. You, They really want to be crushed. That's it. This is a mental health issue. I really think that's what it is. It's a mental health issue. And you're going to get pushback. You're going to end up crying. And then you're going to think, you know, people are mean. The fact of the matter is, is when people get mean, when you try to push your standards on them, OK, it's wrong. Don't 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 do that. All right. It, it's not it's not fair. All right. It's not fair that you would do that to somebody. All right. It really isn't. I had a video here. Hold on one second. All right. A lot of people, they really just don't want to compete. That's what it is. A lot of people do not want to compete. They do not want to um, be able to accept loss. Okay. They don't want to accept, you know, being rejected. Like everybody gets rejected. Everybody. That's life. You're not everybody's cup of tea. Everybody isn't everybody's cup of tea. All right. And that is just how things are in life. But you have people that don't want to accept that. And that just makes you worse in other people's eyes.
and people are going to reject you because you're trying to force people to like you, especially when you are overweight and not pleasing to the eyes. Sorry, that, that's the truth here. That is the truth. Men have to accept it. Women have to accept it. And like I said before, these people want these women who want to push that. They wouldn't date a person that's just like them. Okay, your average seek out an average person. Well, women don't want average men. Then stop. Then stop being average. That's it. Otherwise, stop complaining. Go sit in the corner somewhere. That's it. But you can't be screaming, crying because you want a participation trophy. And I think that's really what has harmed society. Participation trophies. No, life is ugly. Life is hard. Okay, and you have to make it better. Okay. That's what you have to do. You have to make your life better. This is for male and females. You have to do that. But don't worry, you know, this great reset that's coming is going to force you to make your life better. It's going to force you to do things you don't like to do that are good for you. Maybe skipping a couple of meals. Running, you know, especially running from soldiers that want to put you in FEMA camps. Okay. Being resourceful. Having to be resourceful with a group of people that are resourceful themselves not to do crime hopefully some of you won't do that but learn to work together to survive anyway on to this next story the scientist guantanamo documentary pulled over fear of retaliation the vice media feature reportedly detailed the then navy officer ron DeSantis' involvement in prisoner force feedings hmm a vice documentary investigating claims that the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, authorized the force feeding of prisoners while sent, stationed as a Navy officer on Guantanamo Bay was shelved by its pro broadcaster's parent company, Paramount, due to fear the Republican would subject them to the same lawfare tactics he has wielded against their competitors, Disney. SEMA 4 revealed on Thursday, Paramount's lobbyist in Washington, D.C., D.D. Leah, allegedly raised concerns about the political consequences of airing the Guantanamo candidate causing the entertainment giant to mothball the documentary the day after DeSantis announced his candidacy for the 2024 Republican president presidential nomination. An insider source told the outlet the half hour film had already been vetted for content by Vice and cable network Showtime when the former was informed just four days before airtime that the broader network teams are taking deep, a deeper internal look at the documentary, delaying its premiere indefinitely. One source advice called the decision blatant corporate censorship for political gain, claiming Showtime never gave an explanation and suggesting executives had delayed it out of fear that DeSantis would retaliate. The candidate apparently already held a grudge against Paramount, which was dealing with falling ratings, even as Vice was declaring bankruptcy and his full frontal assault on Disney may have cast a long shadow. Vice's expose included interviews with a former detainee who claimed that DeSantis was present 
at force feedings that were condemned as torture by the UN. During the year, he served as a legal advisor to the U.S. Navy at Guantanamo. The man said he noticed DeSantis' handsome face among the crowd of officers watching him struggle as he was brutally force-fed by a nurse, smiling and laughing with other officers as I screamed in pain. The Florida governor rejected the claims when confronted by a vice reporter earlier this year. However, DeSantis admitted in 2018 interview to advertising a commanding officer that you can actually force-feed hunger-striking detainees, even offering the officer kind of the rules for that. The UN declared force-feeding to be torture in February of 2006, just a month before DeSantis arrived at Guantanamo Bay. And the candidate has since modified his telling of the episode to place the responsibility for decision-making on his superiors. The documentary also mentions DeSantis alleged, alleged his role in covering up the killings of three hunger strike leaders. Former prisoner, gu prison guard Joe Hickman told Vice that the men were killed by U.S. officials and had not died in a suicide pact, as Washington had officially claimed. He also claimed that DeSantis would not have the authority to sign off on the cover-up contradicting the Florida governor's former commanding officer who declined to be interviewed. Whoa. Okay. Well, I hope people bring this up when he's running for president. Okay. I hope they bring that up. Okay, let's get into this strange story right here. We have new details about a deadly discovery made in Delray Beach. Police say human remains. Second here. Deadly discovery made in Delray Beach. Police say human remains found in suitcases appear to belong to a woman. Local 10's Alex Finney has developments on this. Detectives here in Delray Beach are still trying to piece together this one. They're trying to figure out how a woman's body ended up in three different suitcases. A puzzling and shocking discovery. The remains of a woman were found in three separate suitcases that were floating in the water. And this is the first suitcase. And then the second and third suitcases were found relatively close. This is the large swath of area that detectives are focused on. Delray Beach police responded to the 1000 block of Palm Trail on Friday after someone reported seeing something strange in the intercoastal. We were able to determine that the remains within this suitcase, the two suitcases, were actually human remains as well. And all three suitcases were deemed to be the same person. Those other two suitcases were located near Southwest 7th Avenue and Casa Rita Road. The victim described as a white or Hispanic woman with brown hair about five foot four inches tall. She may have had tattooed eyebrows and had on black mid thigh shorts. And this is the pattern of the floral top that she was wearing. The brand of the floral top is Bitsabi, uh, which is unique, uh, we believe. And from what we can tell as a Brazilian company, just one piece to the puzzle for detectives. It's insane. I don't know what's possessing people to do these sick crimes. I really don't know.
really strangely. This is uh oh it is, I guess it's the month of serial killers. It's becoming that. That's what I'm starting to see. It's becoming that type of uh that type of month. Delray Beach, Florida, investigators believe three suitcases found last week in South Florida with human remains reside inside, went into the water days or hours before they were found. Authorities in Delray Beach launched an investigation after a construction worker called 911 on Friday after afternoon to report seeing something strange in the intercoastal waterway near the th a thousand block of Palm Trail. Police Chief Russ Major said they saw a suitcase with what was believed to be human remains hanging outside the suitcase. Officers responded and confirmed that the suitcase contained human remains. Within a few hours, authorities got more calls that led them to another two suitcases with human remains inside. All three suitcases were deemed to be the same person, the same victim as the original suitcase that was found. Mager said at a news conference on Monday, he said an autopsy was being done to glean more information about the circumstances of the death. The victim remained unidentified Monday. Officials said the body appeared to be a woman between the ages of 35 and 55 who was Caucasian or Latin American and about five, five foot four. The woman had light brown hair and might have had tattoos, eyebrows. She was wearing a floral tank top from Brazilian brand with a black camisole shirt underneath and black shorts, Sergeant Casey Kelly said. Based on the victim's condition, we believe the time frame in which she was put into the water to be between Monday, July 17th and earlier morning hours of Thursday, July 20th, he said Monday, adding that authorities have yet to determine when she died. The body was in the early stages of decomposition, he said. Officials have been interviewing missing person reports I'm sorry, reviewing missing person reports, though Kelly said no matches were immediately found. No evidence has thus far linked the woman's death to drugs, possible human trafficking or domestic violence, he said. It remained unclear Monday where the suitcase containing the woman's body went into the water. Kelly said investigators had not ruled and not yet ruled out the possibility that it might have been happened in another country. Authorities asked that people check their surveillance cameras for any suspicious incidents between Monday and Thursday of last week. We ask that you specifically look for unusual vehicles or people and certainly anyone carrying or moving luggage, he said. Later, he added that the investigation is very early in its stages. Police believe the incident was isolated. Officials continue to investigate. Wow. <sighs> Ladies, better be careful about who you're dating, you know. I don't know, man. It's just it's, it's wild to me. Insanely wild to me. All right. More information on Black Lives Matter. Hey! 
Days and nights of unrest in the summer of 2020 as thousands of New Yorkers marched, protesting police brutality after the death of George Floyd. Took to the streets to protest police violence and they were met with more police violence. Three years later, New York City just agreed to a historic $13 million settlement with protesters over the tactics used by NYPD officers as they patrolled the protests. Councilmember Sandy Nurse was among the demonstrators. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if you had mobility issues or if you're a young woman. I mean, they were pulling people by the hair, throwing people on the ground. The class action lawsuit against the city was filed on behalf of 1,300 people claiming their constitutional and civil rights were violated during 18 protests as they faced excessive force by officers, including being forced into tight spaces and then hit with batons and pepper spray. During litigation, the city argued NYPD officers were met with extremely difficult and chaotic situations, including officers having rocks thrown at them and patrol cars set on fire. The law department telling PIX11, quote, the NYPD has improved numerous practices to address the challenges it faced at protests during the pandemic. New York City agrees to pay 13 million or nearly 10K each to protesters beaten, arrested in 2020 Black Lives Matter demonstrations. Hmm. New York City agrees to pay more than 13 million or nearly $10,000 each to demonstrators who were arrested or beaten by cops during the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests over the police killing of George Floyd in Minnesota. The proposed class action settlement, which still needs to be approved by a judge, would be one of the most expensive payouts awarded to, in connection with a mass arrest lawsuit in history, according to experts. The agreement filed in Manhattan Federal Court on Wednesday would award most of the approximately 1,300 plaintiffs who were arrested or subjected to force by police about $10,000 each, according to their attorneys. The lawsuit filed against the city, then Mayor Bill de Blasio and Commissioner Dermont Shea, as well as other police officials and officers argued that thousands of New Yorkers who were ex who exercised their constitutional rights were corralled into places where they could not escape during widespread demonstrations. The plaintiffs were then beaten with batons, sprayed with pepper spray and arrested without lawful jurisdiction, all without fair warning, lawyers argued in the court documents. Plaintiffs marching against racial targeted police brutality were allegedly physically restrained and put in dangerous close quarters, all in the height of the global COVID-19 pandemic. Lawyers said arguing the same tactics were not used during similar sized protests okay, <clears throat> of different issues, according to the complaint. It was disorganized, but also intentional, said Adam so, a plaintiff who claimed their group of marchers were cornered by police, placed in zip ties until their hands turned purple and held on a hot bus for hours. Reality is this, okay? Some of these protesters want to get in cops' faces. They want to break up. They want to damage police property. And um, what do you expect was going to happen to you? 
That's what I want to know. What what did you expect to happen to you? You don't expect that the cops are going to hem you up. You don't expect to be pepper sprayed. You don't expect to be thrown to the ground. Some of you are destroying police property once I, once again. But I wasn't destroying. It doesn't matter. You're guilty by association. So they're going to lock everyone up. The settlement agreement applies to protesters of 18 marches or demonstrations in Brooklyn and Manhattan between May 28th and June 4th of 2020. During more than two years of litigation, city attorneys argue people, police tactics have been scaled to manage the chaotic situation and pointed to incidents where someone really protesters had thrown objects at police or set their cars on fire. Like I said, damaging New York City um, police property. Lawyers also argued that a June 4th, 2020 violent assault on protesters in the Bronx Mott Haven section exemplified the worst of the NYPD's unconstitutional protests, police policing for tactics and insufficient training, claiming police trapped volunteer medics and organizers so they would not be able to comply with a citywide curfew or orders to disperse before attacking them. The lawsuit noted that Shea, then the NYPD commissioner, defended the tactics employed by officers during the protest, saying they executed their policing nearly flawlessly. Some 300 pro demonstrators kettled or beaten by cops in that incident were awarded at least 21,500 each in a $6 million settlement with the city earlier this year. They were excluded from Wednesday's settlement agreement. The city did not admit fault in connection with the lawsuit, but settled to avoid a political fraught rehashing of the events at trial and resolve the issues raised in this litigation without further proceedings, court documents said. During the protest, the city had invoked qualified immunity to protect officers from lawsuits and continued to deny the NYPD methods violated the city, right, city rights of New Yorkers in the settlement. There is no history of present or future of un unconstitutional policing. Georgia Podesta, an attorney for the city, wrote in a memo. There is no frequent deprivation of constitutional rights. The class action in question did not look to force the NYPD to change its procedures, but other ongoing litigations aimed at achieving that goal, including a suit brought by New York Attorney General Latia James that demands the federal monitor to oversee NYPD's protested policies. Yeah. Me, I don't really take this seriously, I don't think they should deserve it because you chose to be in a protest that was violent, protest that was destroying police property, you chose to be part of an organization that is led by trained Marxists. I don't feel sorry for you. You chose, made the choice, you made that choice. Anyway, um, this is it for now. Let me know what you think in the comments. Anything you want to know about this channel is in the description box. I am also on Spotify and Rumble, so you could watch me there as well. You know what to do. Hit the like button, like, share, comment, and subscribe. Later.